Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I am talking to Caitlin Stevenson about Mystery Science Theater 3000. This is a very timely episode. Here in America, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and what happens on Thanksgiving, kids? That's right, an MST3K marathon leading up to the Netflix premiere of The Gauntlet. That's every single episode if you want it. It's usually a tradition. Hopefully you took part in it. If you didn't, then you missed out. Maybe you can listen to this episode, get hyped up, and go back and watch the episodes. If you did watch them, then you can think back on all that you saw and get a few new facts and figures in your brain about it. Caitlin's very passionate about this show, and hopefully by the end of the episode, you will be as well. And in researching the show, I actually found out that they just celebrated their 30-year anniversary a couple days ago. So that's pretty cool. Obviously, the show is still in the public consciousness, and we're glad to be a part of the zeitgeist. Also, as I've mentioned in weeks previous, Christmas Story has now opened to public acclaim, to great applause, and I remembered all of my lines. So, if you haven't yet bought your ticket or planned on traveling to Florida in order to see a play based on a movie that you could watch for free at any time that you want on television... Make sure you check out A Christmas Story at Winter Garden Playhouse in Winter Garden, Florida. But enough preamble. Let's all wonder how they eat and breathe and other science facts and then repeat to ourselves, it's just a show, I should really just relax, with Caitlin Stevenson. Take it away, Anthony. started. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, and thank you so much to my guest for joining me as well. Uh, very excited about this conversation. We've just been having a wonderful conversation about serial killers. Yeah. I might include that in some of the intro. I don't know. But we're not talking about serial killers today because I wouldn't be learning anything. Uh, but uh, but I've got Caitlin here. Say hello, Caitlin. Hello, world. Hello, world. Indeed. I hope the whole world's listening. That'd be great. Wouldn't it? I mean, if I get you your highest ratings, that'd be pretty great. You know what? Let's aim for it. Okay. Okay. I'm done. And the way that we're going to do that today is we're going to talk about Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes, indeed. Which is something that I know, but I don't know a lot about. Let's change that. Let's change that. So, this is what I understand about it. Mm-hmm. Three shadows, talking in front of bad movies. Every once in a while, they got to take a break for some reason. Mm-hmm. One, there's a vacuum. Yeah, Gypsy. Okay. And uh, it keeps coming back. It's like it's like the plague. It just keeps coming back in different forms. Yeah. I mean, well, technically, it never really went away. It changed channels initially. Oh. Um, and then it was gone for like 10 years, and Netflix brought it back. Right. Magic of Netflix. But I mean, that is the gist of it that people remember, is the silhouettes and the bad movies and the commentary. And that's the heart of what it is. Um, and I mean, that's what I remembered when I was in high school, that made me like Google it. I think I Googled like shadow corner movie. <laughs> right. Mystery Science Theater came up and I was able to completely dive into it like it's, a psychopath. It's become, that image has become pretty iconic though mm-hmm. in its own right. Yeah, it's on the back of my car. Like, Is it really? Yeah, you can get stickers and decals. It's on my computer too. It's a problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the silhouettes are a main thing and you'll see it in other pop culture. Like I think on the reboot of Arrested Development, they had them in the corner and they actually had Joel and Trace I think actually come in and do 
dialogue on top of Arrested Development. Oh, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, so you'll see that in other pop culture all the time. Because it's just, even if you don't even remember what it's from, at some point in your life you've seen it happen. Not to be confused with the silhouette at the movie theaters shushing people at the end of Simpsons, right? Correct, different. Uh, And I don't know if that was based off of it or not. Because, I mean, Mr. Science Theater came out in 88, so... That long ago, really? Yeah, that's when it started. What's that, 30 years? Yeah. Oof. Yeah, 30 years ago. That's cool. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, 88. <laughs> I mean, that's when it came on KTMA. There's a whole history of how it got started and how it changed on different networks, um, which is part of what makes it so interesting is it's unlike any other show. Right. Like if, if you came up to a network executive today and said, hey, I want to do a show, but I just want to like talk over movies, they would not <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. It would not be a thing. Um, and Joel just kind of did that, which yeah. was really, really interesting to me. That is cool. Yeah. So when, so you said that you had to Google it. You weren't sure what it was when you Googled it. So what, what is your, how do you, how do you first get into it? As a kid. So most kids Saturday morning, it's like cartoons, right? I have no connection to cartoons cause I didn't watch them. Mm-hmm. It's weird to me when people bring it up. I watched mystery science theater. I just didn't remember what that was when I got to high school. Cause it went off the air when I was about 10. Um, so every Thanksgiving, like they do a marathon every single year on Thanksgiving. And it was like, we watch the Macy Thanksgiving day parade and then we watch mystery science theater all day long. Yeah. And, uh, there were just so many jokes. I remember as a kid really sticking with me. And then as a high schooler, I randomly remembered it and I was like, Oh yeah, what was that show? It was so funny. And I Googled it, found it, and then went down this really deep dive rabbit hole of getting in. It was the days before MySpace, So it was message boards and, all these weird ways of looking up the old episodes and the history and it became a very strange obsession that sure. I still have. Um, but yeah, I just, as a kid, I watched that. I didn't watch cartoons and now I'm very sarcastic and a bit cynical and I blame that entirely on Crow. So, yeah. Yeah, which is one of the... The robots. The, the robots. The gold robot with the bowling pin mouth and the lacrosse yeah. net head. Yes. He's a very sporty guy. So what, even before we get into the the history of the show itself. What is the premise of the, the basic premise of the show? Because okay. it, it, it continues throughout each iteration, right? It's the same basic premise. Yeah. And I mean, they change it up for, to explain why it's a new person. Um, and technically like the pilot in the first season are slightly different, but the basic premise is, uh, these mad scientists, Dr. Forrester and his henchmen, uh, launch a janitor into space because they didn't like him. <laughs> and they're basically trying to do these experiments of putting terrible movies in front of him, forcing him to watch it and see the effects it has on his mind and then use that to take over the world. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't have to make a lot of sense. And they specifically state that in the theme song that if you're thinking too hard about it, like chill out, it's a TV show. <laughs> right. Like, we don't don't take this seriously. Who cares? Uh, but that's the premise is they want to find basically the worst movie ever made, mm-hmm. unleash it on the public, and take over the world. That's that's it. Oh, so that's so they're going to take over the world by showing the worst movie, but first they have to find the worst movie by running yeah. it past this janitor. Yeah, they want to find one that'll break them. Um, sure. I mean, I think they found it pretty early on, and then from there on they were just kind of like, oh, we got to keep going with this <laughs> premise. Because they even had a moment in Manos, The Hands of Fate, which is famous for being probably the worst movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of mention it like the... Uh, Oh, no. Uh, Dr. Forrester actually mentions in one of the host segments, he's like, I'm sorry. Like, this is a pretty bad one. Like, uh. So they admit in the show, like, this might, this might be it. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't say, like, I think we're going to stop here, but he definitely 
kind of empathizes with them having to go through it. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Good for you guys trying to get through this one. It's bad. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so he sends the janitor up in space, but then you've got the two other, the, mm-hmm. the two robot friends, right? Yeah. So those, he built them, uh, as the theme song explains, to try to keep his sanity. So he used, apparently he used the parts that would, would have normally allowed him to control when the movie starts and stops. He took those parts, built robots out of them, uh, and he talks to them and hangs out with them. They're his little friends and... They have their own personalities and weird quirks. Yeah. Yeah. Gypsy is the one you said there's a vacuum. Mm-hmm. She's not super important to the plot or premise, um, but she's there. And then there's also Cambot. Uh, the premise of Cambot is that they wanted there to be a reason to acknowledge the camera. So the camera that they're speaking to is one of the bots. It's named Cambot. Oh, okay. So like in the intro, when you see Cambot, she's looking into a mirror so you can see her. <laughs> right. Because you're getting everything from her point of view. I, I like that something that, you know, that, that something that's so sort of inherently ridiculous and just basically a, a, a very flimsy reason to just show these poor movies still have moments where it's so thought out and, and justified, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, the reason he can't stop the movie is because he used the parts to the apparatus that would have allowed him to do that. It's just like, yeah. wow, you thought, you thought about that? Like, that's insane. Yeah, they do think through everything. And I mean, in the theme song, they say, if you're wondering how he eats or breathes or other science facts, repeat to yourself. It's just a show. I right. should probably just relax. So they don't drive home a lot of that. But I mean, even with, okay, when they send the movie, why does he even go to the theater? Why doesn't he just not go watch it? Right. Uh, they've addressed it a couple times. One was Dr. Forrester was like electrically shocking him. So he went to the theater. In one, he tried to leave the theater before a break and there was no oxygen oh. outside of it. So he had to stay in. Sure. So they do address like those weird things that you'd be like, well, why doesn't he just not <laughs> yeah. leave? Well, because he'd die. Right. It's just, it's yeah, it's just strange that, that, that they wouldn't just say it, that they wouldn't just, for, for every explanation, just be like, don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to give some context. Uh, and the original version of it that Joel came up with was it was like a pirate radio station kind of concept where he launched himself into space and he was trying to broadcast to Earth. Um, and I guess they felt that didn't have enough legs. So he right. added the, the evil part of it. But yeah, I mean, they they don't take themselves too seriously and I appreciate it. They know what they are. They never try to be anything else than that. They're like, our sets are made of cardboard and foam and found objects and it's a puppet show. Yeah. We're just going to have fun with it. And if you take it too seriously, like, this is not for you. Right. Yeah. And it does attract a very, it seems like a very specific type of person. Yeah. I don't. Don't know what that is. Apparently me. Uh, but it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's <laughs> campy, but it's smart at the same time. It, yeah, it's very specific humor that you don't really see anywhere else. Um, I can't think of anything else that's really comparative to what it is, other than stuff that's kind of stolen from it or derived from it. Right, it's really its own thing. Yeah, when I when I think about it, it always it just I know it, and it's become. Um, I think a, a, a little bigger over time and it's become more well known and, and just like anything from geek culture, it's, it's become, you know, de rigueur um, as far as like, you know, oh, this is acceptable now. But, but when I really do think about it, especially back when it, it's very, it was very underground. It was something for me that I always knew about, but I always, I, I kind of felt like I was intruding upon somebody else's community if I suddenly started watching it or talking about it, you know, because it was, it was very, it was very much a a specific group of people and you had to know about it. Yeah. And I mean, that was a big thing back in the nineties when it was initially airing. Um, and even into the later days and up until basically the Netflix revival, 
Um, we're called Misty's. If you're curious, the name for it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's uh, back in the '90s. They at the end of the episode, you'll see it says "Keep circulating the tapes," because what they would do is people would record them on VHS tapes and they would mail them to people that haven't seen the episode or couldn't see the episode so that people could keep seeing the show. Right. They were like, we don't necessarily care about ratings, but we want people to see this weird content. And they would genuinely record them, mail them away to people. And it's become kind of a thing. I mean, some of the DVDs that I have of Mystery Science Theater, I got from other fans. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you had, I mean, so yeah. So, I mean, you had to be committed to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a very committed thing. They had like a fan club. They called the Info Club. People would write in and, Uh, give their feedback and letters and stuff it was this very strange cult thing that felt like a local cable access show because i mean it started off as a local minnesota show yeah and they never really changed it they weren't like oh well now we have this big budget we're on comedy central let's do all this crazy stuff they're like nah we're a puppet show we make fun of movies right um and the fans just obsessed over it like uh if you watch old movies from like 1994 95 um There's the rain. Yep, it's the famous. What am I missing? Rain. I was gonna say it was a nice day. <laughs> it was a beautiful when day. When I showed up, and now okay, it's storming now. Yep. Perfect. Um, but yeah, if you watch, there's old videos of they would do like their own little mystery science theater conventions, and there were just rapid groups of people. It's like a comic con, but just for mystery science theater. Yeah. And huge like midwestern nerds, essentially. It's yeah. a very midwestern thing. It is a very midwestern thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so talk to me about that. Talk to me about the the history. So now we kind of have a history of the concept of the show in world, but mm-hmm. but you know how does it come about? Why you know how do they get how do they get these old movies? Like what what yeah. who 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 are these guys? Okay. So it all comes from the brain of Joel Hodgson, uh, who plays the character of Joel Robinson, uh, which is yes a nod to Joel Robinson from uh, what's that movie? I don't know. I don't know. You said it like it was like a, yep, everyone's going to guess this. Um, (laughs) Doesn't matter. Um, So Joel Hodgson was a comedian. He was from the Twin Cities area and he went out to LA. He did a bunch of different stuff. He was doing stand-up comedy. He did stuff at the Magic Castle. He got on Letterman. He was on Saturday Night Live doing a couple of guest appearances there, doing his kind of prop comedy Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, So he was kind of getting a name for himself there. But then he got an offer to do a sitcom and he read the script and he just didn't think it was funny. He's like, I don't think this is funny. I don't want to do it. Right. So he said no. They counteroffered with a lot more money, thinking like, oh, he just he's just hardballing us here. Like, right. Let's do this. Um, and he was like, no, I just don't think it's funny. I don't care what you pay me. And he was so upset by it that he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like Hollywood. It's skeevy. It doesn't feel good. He has this integrity with his creativity and with his comedy that he's like, I don't care. Yeah. Which I love because I feel like most people, if you go to LA to make it and someone offers you a sitcom, you're like, I don't care. I'll do it. Oh, that's the point. Yeah. For a lot of people. Just get me a credit on IMDb. I'm good. Yeah. Um, Make as much money as you can. And then maybe in the future you can start doing your own thing. Yeah. And he was like, no, I like what I'm doing. I think this show is stupid. And I don't even know that the show ever made it to air. Right. Um, So he goes back to Minnesota. He's just done with it. He's working in a t-shirt printing shop which is great, just doing whatever. And he's this creative, weird guy. And he thinks of this idea to do a show where you kind of make fun of movies or talk over them anyway. So he brings it up to this producer at a local channel called KTMA named Jim Mallon. And he's like, I got this idea for a show. I want to do it. Uh, Jim's like, all right, cool. We'll give you a pilot. 
I don't really know the logistics of how that even happened. Um, Joel was like, he'd worked with Jerry Seinfeld and helped write his stand up special and stuff. So oh. he's, yeah. So he's legit. Yeah. He's very legit. At this point, he's, he literally co-wrote Jerry Seinfeld's special and I think was on it. Um, so he gets this pilot greenlit. Like I said, it was pirate radio station themed, very different than it ended up being. They film the pilot, get it approved. They're like, all right, we'll give you 13 episodes on this local channel. Um, they air it Thanksgiving Day is when it premieres. Mm-hmm. And they don't really know how it's received because it's local TV in 1988. Right. They don't, they <laughs> right. don't know. They're like, do people like this? Do people not? So they're like, let's start a phone hotline. People can call in and tell us. Uh, they got a lot of reactions to it, mostly positive. But interestingly enough, they used a lot of the negative ones in their ads. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like they were running ads of people saying like, who are these idiots talking over the movie? Like, <laughs> shut up and let us watch it. And they're like, Mystery Science Theater. Right. <laughs> Figure out what it's about. Um, which was an interesting choice, but it worked. Um, sure. People liked it so much, they extended the run to 21 episodes, I think. Got that going. And then KTMA goes bankrupt. Mm. So this local channel that finds this weird show just ends. And they're right. like, all right, that's fine. So were the movies part of the public access library? Is that how they access them? Or were, I mean, was yeah. it public domain stuff? So KTMA had some in their records that they were able to pull from. Um, getting the rights to the stuff was always an interesting process that I don't know tons of the logistics, but I know they had to go through figuring out which ones they could get the rights to. Right. And there are some that they were able to get the rights to initially that they've since like lost rights to. Um, there was a Godzilla movie that they did and, uh, they actually put it on DVD and they had to like retroactively replace all of them because now they can't even reference that they ever touched Godzilla. Really? It's very strange. Um, they, years back when it happened, they had to like put out this whole promo of like how to upgrade to like 10.0 or whatever and fix your DVD. And it was to like (laughs) throw away the disc that had Godzilla on it and put the new one in. It was very strange. Wow. Yeah. So that was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I know when they moved to different stations, they had different ways of obtaining uh, the videos, but it it is important that you had the rights to it. So a lot of the stuff that they would want to get, you just can't. Um, You'd have to be able to obtain them and for cheap because obviously you don't want to pay a lot. Sure. Um, So they they did all that with KTMA. It goes off the air. Simultaneously, HBO is like, we're going to start the comedy channel. We need content. So they contact Joel and Jim. They've now started a company called Best Brains, which owns the rights to Mystery Science Theater. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, send us some content. Um, they send over like a seven minute demo reel of mystery science and they're like, yeah, cool. We want that on comedy channel. It was one of the first two shows ever on that channel. And it became like their staple show, like what they pushed, what they wanted everybody to watch. And that was the thing. So they're, they're now on the comedy channel and they're able to kind of up it a bit. And they go from like ad libbing their jokes to actually having a writer's room and writing everything and scripting everything out more appropriately and kind of upping their production value a bit but still keeping it very campy and very weird yeah um so at that point there's a lot of cast changes on mystery science theater don't know if people realize if you go back and watch one episode to another it could be a completely different lineup of people yeah in terms of in terms of what who who shows up on the show or who's behind the scenes kind of everything um one of the things I love about this show is that they never like hired actors or did casting calls. If there was a background bit, it was like a random writer. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the same people over and over and over again. Um, Mike Nelson, who ends up being the, the main guy after Joel left, he was like a bit actor on the show in so many episodes. And he had a ton of recurring characters he would do. And 
uh, it was never an actor. It was just like, uh, we need somebody to play Torgo as a pizza man. Mike can do it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, they just didn't do anything the way that they were supposed to. I mean, they go into the comedy channel. It's run by HBO. And they're like, yeah, can you like film this in LA or New York now? I'm like, no, nah, we're going to keep it in Minnesota. We're going to film it in Eden Prairie. Okay. Man. In a warehouse. I just, I can't imagine just have, I, whatever it is. I don't know if it's, I, I want to say balls, but I don't even think it's balls, but it's just like, it's whatever that, whatever that sense of self is that just allows you to just go, no, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's turning down a sitcom in LA or, tur- you know, t- turning to HBO and just going like, no, you know, because every time you do that, you run the risk of, of that other person going, oh, okay, then we're not going to do this. Yeah. They could have just lost it at any point. And that was Joel in general. I mean, I can talk about it later, but he ends up leaving the show over that kind of thing. He was just very, he knew what he wanted to do and he was going to do it his way. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what I love about the show is knowing that it's this group of kind of random comedians from Minneapolis, Minnesota, this weird area that were just like, yeah, we're going to make this weird show. And Joel picked two random comedians and Trace Ballou and J. Elvis Weinstein to come on initially with him and make this. And it was just these weird people. And, the revival now, you know, they brought in Jonah Ray and Felicia Day, and that was kind of a very weird approach to me because they're so used to using these random local people you've never heard of. Right. Um, but they just did what they wanted, and they were like, we're going to film it in a warehouse, and our sets are going to be made out of cardboard, and it's going to be just our writer's room are going to be the actors, and that's it. We're not yeah. going to up the production value of this or do anything fancy because we like who we have and the idea of getting together with a group of your friends that you find funny and that you click with and being able to make a show that's on a major network for 10 years right and do whatever you want right and get no pushback that's incredible to me that's what makes the show super special and unlike anything else yeah it, se- it seems like it's just one of those uh, right place right time kind of deals where now you would like you said you would never be able to make that show no but it's just like for whatever reason, they were positioned at that exact time when HBO is starting uh, the comedy channel and going like, we, we don't have anything. We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me a lot of, um, uh, you know, not to bring up something that you're not interested in, but um, the Cartoon Network when that first started, you know, and they had all of the Ted Turner library. And so they had all the Hanna-Barbera stuff, but they started thinking like, we need to create original content here and because there was nothing like it before they basically just gave it over to um to the people running it and that's how like adult swim came about Mm -hmm. because they were like well the only thing that we have are these hanna-barbera cartoons what if we just edited them ourselves and created silly dialogue and you know and people looked at it and went okay great whatever you know and now it's just like uh, you know, sort of, sort of a similar thing where it was just like, we're just going to do this thing, you yeah, know, see and, what happens. and literally like repurposing other people's work almost similar yeah. to, you know, mystery science theater and just, you know, people, you would never be able to do that now. No. And it's like, now you have YouTube where people can, you know, get on there and create whatever they want and, right. and they have the freedom to do anything, but there's so much of it. It's not really going to go anywhere typically. Um, so getting onto Netflix or a major network with something this out of the box and creative, I don't think we'll ever see that kind of thing again. Right. It's very difficult. Right. And, you know, even this came back because Joel was like, Hey, I'm going to do a Kickstarter and see if people pay me money, which I did. 
and good for you. You know, we got it back. So yeah, it's an interesting time in TV when this whole thing kicked off. It was very unique time, and I'm super thankful for it because, like I said, it's just not like anything else, which is why it sticks out in people's minds, and everyone remembers that silhouette and these weird robots because what other show had weird puppets made out of like gumball machines and yeah. made fun of movies. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it, it, um, it goes to HBO, right? Yeah. So it's only comedy channel or a comedy channel. HBO acquires it. Yeah. So basically they, they buy it, they bring it on, but they're cool about it. They're like, you can own the rights to it. We're not going to like buy you out. We just want you on the channel. Right. Um, so they do that. They, did that help in terms of like rights acquirement and movies and stuff or yeah they got more access to stuff um and then again when they went to the sci-fi channel um they ended up getting different it's like different owners or companies that they worked for had different access to different things so they were able to kind of expand on it and again with netflix it's like they had different access Mm. um so they go over to the comedy channel and at this point the mad scientists are jay elvis playing uh dr lawrence Earhart and uh, Trace Blue playing Dr. Clayton Forrester. Um, so Dr. Forrester and Larry, basically. Uh, and then you have Joel and the bots, Crow and Servo. So that was the the structure. After that first year, um, the Comedy Channel merges with a channel called like Ha, and mm-hmm. it becomes Comedy Central. Right. So now uh, For that For those happens. of you wondering why we weren't saying Comedy Central. Yes, it was intentional. It was I'm intentional. Not, I'm not dumb. No. Um, so now it's Comedy Central. So season two. So there's KTMA, season one. Now season two. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Elvis leaves. He's like, I don't want to write the jokes. I want to ad-lib them. I'm not into this anymore. I'm out. Um, he's, he did fine. He went on to you know write for Freaks and Geeks. So like... And he did all right. He did fine. Um, he takes off. So they replace him with Frank Conniff, who comes on to play TV's Frank in place of uh, Lawrence. Um, but Jay Elvis had also been voicing uh, Tom Servo, the little red robot. So they need a new voice for that. So they bring in Kevin Murphy, who previously had basically been like a camera operator and like a set builder and also been writing. <laughs> so the show is very much like, uh, you. You, yeah. yeah. So he starts puppeting and voicing Tom Servo. Is it a noticeable voice difference? Hugely different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for pretty much anyone listening to this, like if you can think of what Tom Servo sounds like, you're hearing Kevin Murphy's voice because he did it from season two to season 10, um, which was the entire run minus that first season. Right. Um, so now he's been replaced on Netflix, but pretty much like, it's weird. The Netflix shows are very strange because it's not Kevin's voice. I don't like it. Really? Yeah. Because he, he was Servo for nine years. Yeah. That's the voice. Um, but are, he did a great job. Are you it. regretting giving money now? No. <laughs> I, I'm, the only thing I'm mad about is that Felicia Day basically stole my dream role in life. Um, right. That I literally fantasized about 10 years ago, and then it became a real thing, and a different ginger got cast in it. So I was like, <laughs> this is cruel that it's coming real and she's taking it. If it helps, you were probably second on that list. I'm pretty sure. You I'm, were I, we were in talks. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so they have Kevin Murphy come in. He's now doing Servo and Frank comes in to be the sidekick. And this for me is like the best era of the show. Dr. Forrester is by far my favorite mad, um, or villain. We call him mads. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, the best thing on the show in my opinion and when you go to host segments anyway which are a whole different element of the show that i can talk about but um so that cast change happens then joel decides he doesn't want to do it anymore which is because of just creative differences he doesn't want to do a feature film 
um, which Jim is pushing for, the producer. He's like, let's do a movie. It's money. Right. Joel's like, nah, don't want to do that. There were some creative differences happening behind the scenes that he just didn't have the energy to fight. And it was like, I'd just rather leave. So he leaves his show, um, which was a huge deal. It's literally his thing and he's taking off. Yeah. So they bring in Mike Nelson, who's been playing all these bit parts. And he takes over the role of the main, uh, basically, oaf in the in the booth that they're torturing. And they're like, uh, here's another intern we have that we're going to send into space instead. So Mike Nelson is now the guy. And there's like a huge thing with Misty's of like, are you team Mike? Are you team Joel? Like, it's a thing, mm-hmm. which is, I get it, but like, I don't have a preference. How long was Joel there then? Joel was there uh, like four and a half seasons. Oh, okay. Yeah. He left in, or yeah, he left in season five. Which was weird. He left midway. Oh, really? Yeah. Did they try to fit that into the story or they just kind of... Yeah, they wrote it in. So he gets into like a little pod and like launches to Earth. Oh, that's it. Yeah. So he just (laughs) just got out. He just got to Earth. Um, They're like, all right, he's out. So now we got to replace him. Right. Put Mike in there. So Mike comes in. I think he does a great job. I love Mike. Mike and Joel are very different uh, in the way that they do things, but he's fantastic. Love Mm -hmm. the guy. So that happens. Then Frank leaves. Uh, so he wants to go right. He takes off. Yeah. Um, now it's just Dr. Forrester versus the bots. Whatever. Um, still good times. Until they go to Sci-Fi Channel. Now we have a whole other problem. So they go to Sci-Fi Channel, and now Trace is like, and Trace is the voice in Crow, and he's Dr. Forrester. So two major parts of the show. Yeah. Um, he doesn't want to make the move to Sci-Fi Channel. He feels like the creative rights are going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. He doesn't want to lose that control, so he backs out. So now we're like, crap. We need a new serve, or we need a new crow, and we need a new bad guy. So they're like, all right, for the bad guy, we'll use Mary Jo Peel, who's another one of the random writers that had been playing his mom periodically. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, well, his mom's going to just start taking over now. Okay. So his mom is now the bad guy, <laughs> and they grab another random guy from the set to voice crow in Bill Corbett. Um, and this was an interesting thing, because like, there's two very different versions of Crow. You have Trace Ballou's version, you have Bill Corbett's version. And Bill Corbett's very East Coast, like kind of New York, uh, very aggressive in a way. And then Trace's version was a little bit more like sarcastic and wisecracker, uh, juvenile-esque. So right. it's an interesting switch there too. Hmm. That, that has a lot of opinions, but I, I like both, but Trace is like, Trace is my dude. Right. So many opinions on the show. <laughs> it's just a lot of cast changes that you have to care about. Well, that's it. If you mm-hmm. want to follow the show, it sounds like you just got to kind of go with the, the changes or, or jump ship. Yeah. You just have to deal with it, basically. And I got used to uh, Bill's version of, mm-hmm. of Crow, and I love it. Like, you can definitely tell the difference. They're super different sounding, but I like it. And now the new version of the show on Netflix, I don't know the name of the actors that voice them because I couldn't be bothered to learn them. Right. Um... But the guy that voices Crow now sounds very much like the way Trace did it. So it kind of feels like we're going back to that original version of Crow, oh, okay. which is cool. Uh, I like it. I'm fine with that. Yeah. The new Servo is just like not Servo. So that's weird. Oh, really? Yeah. In I, what way? It's, Kevin Murphy just has a very unique kind of deep voice and almost operatic in the way that he talks um, as Servo. Very like radio DJ inflated ego. And he kept that personality, but just you can't mimic that voice style. Yeah. It's just kind of like somebody else just talking with no character voice to it. It's right. very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you know uh, if people, like as they're sort of moving channels or these changes are happening, do you know? Are people just kind of 
leaving the show or I mean is as far as like fans and yeah, watchers yeah I don't think fans ever dipped off um there was a big Mike versus Joel thing and a lot of people weren't happy about that I mean I was like five when Joel left the show so like I wasn't following this right um I follow it on like message boards when I was like 16 uh, and that's how I know that there was a huge thing about it uh but I know the real fans never left the show because the show's premise again the heart of it is the the segments in the theater and the host segments are important to the show and there's a concept behind them and there's a reason for them. But the theater stuff was still well-written. It was still funny. Some of the best episodes, in my opinion, are from the last season of the show on sci-fi. So there was never really a drop in the quality. Um, I didn't care for like Mary Jo's host segments as uh, Pearl Forrester. Like I didn't care about her mm-hmm. evil villain stuff. Um, that to me was dumb, but I still love those episodes. I just kind of like don't pay attention to those parts. Right. Yeah. Um, so that that was going to be my next question, though, because I, you know, have I have tried to watch. Um, I find it difficult to focus. I don't know where to focus. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to be watching the movie, if I'm supposed to be listening to the jokes, or mm-hmm. you know, or or what the segments are all about. So I just I've I just kind of go. I don't, yeah. I don't get it. This is too so much. how important are like the you know is there a through line in the segments or is that you know? No, I mean, there's no plot to the show. It's not like if you watch last week and then this week, you need to know what happened. It's not a drama or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the host segments do serve a purpose, though. The host segments are essentially there to, A, set up the premise of like why they're getting the movie, but also to essentially let them elongate jokes that they don't have time for in the theater. Um, they have a general rule of they don't want to disrupt the movie that much. They want to add to the experience. Um, they generally don't want to be super negative and poke fun at the movie. They really just want to commentate and add to right so there will be moments where there's a joke that they want to say more about or there's a character that they really want to kind of dig in on but in the theater you don't want to talk over five minutes of dialogue to drill this one joke into the ground right so they would kind of pick those things out and then create host segments on them um my favorite example of this is from an episode called the horrors of spider island um (laughs) which is actually i'm pretty sure on netflix because they do have classic episodes on netflix Mm -hmm. um there's a scene where they walk into a little shack on this island and there is a giant spider web. It's like the size of this room. Mm-hmm. And there's an old man in the middle of it and he's in this like arms up kind of legs twisted position right in the middle of it. Which, you know, interesting visual. Cool. I get why they did that. But one of the bots make a, makes a reference that he, he died mid cheerleader move. Because why else would this man be in the middle of that <laughs> spider web in that position? Right. A human being would just walk into it. Right. So... When they cut to the host segment later, Mike is stuck in a spider web in very much the same way in the in the theater or in the the satellite, and uh, the bots just ream him on this over and over and over again on like what were you do you routinely po- pogo stick blindfolded across the room right like how did you get in this scenario, um, and it was just because they didn't have the time to make eight jokes about it in the theater so right. they do it there yeah yeah and in a way they're not. They're they're no longer making fun of the movie. They're 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 sort of turning the focus on to one of their own. Yeah, able to make the same types of jokes, but they're, they're you know it's not as sort of I guess mean spirited. Yeah, they never wanted it to be mean spirited. Um, and mo- like a lot of the people that were in movies that they've made fun of, like are very supportive of it and have come out and like done interviews about them being made fun of. Sure. Um, but yeah, they always wanted to be positive. The host segments like they. They deliver jokes. They 
really get into characters that they find interesting and they'll bring them on. They'll have somebody dress up as the character and they'll interact with them more Mm -hmm. to play with it a bit more. Um, But it also just breaks it up because there's only so much of watching a really weird, oftentimes bad movie that you can kind of take before you need kind of a palate refresher. Right. Uh, And that's why they have them there. So it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, There is a purpose to it. But if you were to watch Mystery Science Theater and skip those bits... You wouldn't really miss much. Um, it develops, you know, who the bots are and kind of their weird quirks and traits. So you understand why which bot would make which joke. Um, right. But it's not that important. I mean, the heart and soul of the show is the theater segments. And um, they do. They always want to add to it and never detract uh, from what you're seeing. Because there's been a couple of movies that I've watched that I'm like, I could watch that without the commentary. Like, sure. I could get through it. Ring of Terror is one that I think of. I think it's from like their first season. I'm like, I could... I just watch that movie. It's weird, but like <laughs> yeah. I can watch it. It's not fine. that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at what point did you then start watch uh, first start watching it? Was it on Comedy Central or the Sci-Fi? I don't remember because I was so young. Um, I think it was Comedy Central because I remember Doctor Forrester, and he, I know mm. he didn't carry over into Sci-Fi. Um, but I also don't remember or know, which is something I probably should have looked up before coming out here, but I don't know if, uh, when they went to sci-fi, if they retained the rights to do reruns of the old ones. I think they did though, because every Thanksgiving, and this is where my, most of my memories come from, they did a marathon, a Turkey day marathon, which they still do to this day. Um, but it's just on like a streaming platform where they would just marathon mystery science theater all day. And I believe that they would show old episodes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so then, so what, what is it like for you then um, rediscovering it um, and kind of remembering like, oh yeah, I used to watch this thing, getting more and more into it. Was it easy to sort of, I mean, what were your circumstances as far as like, were you in school? Were you in, you know, and was it easy to sort of find a community or was that sort of all online? Yeah, it was all online for sure. I was <laughs> in high school uh, and I, like I said, I Googled it and uh, went down like a YouTube rabbit hole just watching clips uh, and then I have no idea how I found it, but I found a, f- a message board. It was like Forest Crow on Pro Boards. Uh, it was the days before social media. Mm-hmm. So I got on there and I was like the only like young female person on there. It was all like 40-year-old men. Uh, there were there was actually one girl my age who I'm still friends with on Facebook because of this. But oh, really? Yeah. She ended up marrying a guy in Devo. She's a very interesting person. Oh, yeah. good for her? Yeah. It's a weird fun <laughs> okay. fact about her. But yeah, um, it was a weird community and like, you know, you you go on and talk about different episodes or things that were happening. And it just so happened that the time that I rediscovered it and kind of went on this crazy, you know, 15 year old girl obsession with something, uh, happened to be the time that riff tracks became a thing, which I don't know if anyone knows what it is, but it's uh, something that guys from mystery science theater came out with much later on, Mm -hmm. uh, where they would just do audio files that you could play over like current movies. So they didn't have to get the rights to the movie. Um, you could just play your DVD of whatever, Harry Potter, and then they would have an audio riff track. Over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was happening right around that time. They came out with that idea. Um, I got to beta test software that they did for it because there was such a small community of people that knew about it mm-hmm. because they were broadcasting it specifically to us. It was a very interesting time. Uh, and I was very lucky to, again, right place, right time, just happen to fall into it. And then, um, you know, years down the road, they now have this revival too, which is interesting because in high school, I would make my friends come over and like force them to watch mystery science theater and most of them left really liking it but it was one of those we have to watch what is this this is so weird (laughs) why this girl is such a freak um but i would have them watch it and they generally like it why 
I want to get to riff tracks, um, mm-hmm. but why why would you make them watch it? Like literally, what I mean, what what is it about it for you that that you just go like, I need to share this with everybody? I mean, I think it's a lot of people are this way with a lot of things that they love. It's like if you love something, you want other people to get it and to experience it. And I think for me with Mystery Science Theater, it was because they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And like, it was this very underground thing that they really hadn't heard of or knew what it was. And so I was like, you've got to, you've got to experience this. Like, it may not be your thing, but like, you have to give it a shot. Um, I'm like that with a lot of things. Like I do that to people with Halloween Horror Nights. I'm like, if you haven't been, you can't tell me you don't like it. Like you have to go, you have to try. Right. Um, and so I would share it with them and like, they, they'd enjoy it. They'd laugh. My, uh, the girl I was best friends with, with then still will randomly quote episodes to me because they're so memorable and weird and right. fun. It was such a unique thing and it was a good way to spend an evening or an afternoon with friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely, you know, like I said before, it, it definitely started kind of reaching the point where it was like bleeding out into more mainstream culture, you know, where all of a sudden, like I said, by the time that I heard about it, I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm intruding if I, if I try to go back and be like, hey guys, you guys want to talk about Mystery Science Theater, it'd be like, yeah, where have you been for the last decade? Be like, yeah. I don't know, um, but but certainly like um, like like uh, Manos, the Hands of Fate, like mm-hmm. suddenly becomes this thing yeah. where it's just like everybody knows it is like the worst movie ever, and it almost like, I mean, maybe you can speak to this, like, what is the legacy of the show in terms of comedy, in terms of um, you know how 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 certain TV shows were made after that, or just like this this idea of like bad you know like best worst movies kind of Mm -hmm. thing yeah i mean it definitely launched a lot of like what we would call like social television right because they're talking back at something that's already been made so like nowadays you have tons of shows that are like clip shows where they talk about something else right like tosh and all these other shows like here's this clip i'm gonna make a joke about it um and it's super easy and it's super low quality at this point but that was not a thing before them and uh, a lot of just in general, maybe not direct pulls from them, but so many creatives and comedians that are like out there making content now were inspired by it and pull from it. And you'll find obscure references to this show in so many pieces of pop culture. Uh, I mentioned Arrested Development earlier, but um, there's the silhouettes of the bots are in an episode of Rick and Morty. Um, mm-hmm. I have a Deadpool comic where they, it's a really obscure reference where they order uh from Torgo's Pizza, which is a oh. reference to a host segment from Manos, the Hands of Fate. Right. Um, so there's a lot of references where other creators are just like tipping the hat of like, I pulled from you. I mean, I like, I enjoy doing comedy. I enjoy performing and doing those kinds of things. And I pull a lot of my sense of humor from Crow, who's a puppet mm. on it. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's because I, again, I didn't watch cartoons that could I watch that so that developed right. who I was and I think a lot of other creators had that same experience of like oh this is unique this is different and it helps shape their own sense of humor watching other people do it um and yeah now nowadays there's so many things that commentate on top of and now you have like the Razzies like the way you genuinely give awards for a movie being bad yeah um and it's not unheard of for someone to watch bad movies I mean um uh, The Room like is that what it's called yeah yeah, the yeah. Hello, someone's listening. I don't know if you heard that. That was that was close and loud. Yeah. So if you heard that on the podcast, you know how loud it was. But don't mention the room again. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, it's super popular for people to go intentionally spend their time watching bad movies. Absolutely. And I, I'm sure that they talk over them and make their own jokes and things like that. And it's not that it was an unheard of thing to make fun of a movie when you watched it, but right. they made it a thing. You're like, I'm going to intentionally do this. And I had friends get very mad at me for doing it yeah. um, when we watch movies intentionally that I didn't find interesting. So I tried to make them funnier. Yeah. Well, it, it, to me, it seems, I mean, and, and, and definitely like that, that communal experience of going to a movie and, and talking back and stuff like predates, mm-hmm. um, mystery science theater, but, it, but it seems like, um, from everything that I know, it's almost, it, it predates it sort of positively and in, in, in the sense of like, you know, like you have, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, or you have like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, or any of these movies that sort of has 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 a cult around it, where people sort of understand the tropes and they understand the call and response, and they know what they're gonna do and they're gonna say, and you know, and and so that existed, but now because like you mentioned, the room that has that same thing, mm-hmm. but it's like we're not going because it's good, yeah, like. Object, you know, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show is objectively good. Yeah. You know, and we enjoy it, so we go and we want to engage in it. The Room is, by no metric, is it good, but it still now has this that same type of rabid fan base mm-hmm. who will go and they will throw spoons at the screen and yeah. they will toss footballs around or they will, you know, and they and and it just it seems like that's it's just a direct, almost. Almost as if Mystery Science Theater gave us permission yeah. to do those sorts of things, to enjoy something that is objectively awful, yeah, and like, to go, no, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay spending my money on this. Yeah, I can spend my time watching a movie that was made terribly and terribly scripted and shot and makes no sense. And yeah, uh, yeah, you absolutely have permission to do it, and whether you say anything about it or not. I mean, I don't know that I would, but I probably could watch Manos without commentary on it. Yeah. Um, have, but you, have you tried? No, I've never tried without the commentary, but I also have seen it so many times with the commentary that I probably would be running it in my own head anyway. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. I tried watching um, Plan 9 from Outer Space yeah. without anything, just kind of on its own. It was awful. Yeah, I can't imagine trying. It was a slog. Like, I, I was just like, oh, this is, but, but that's the thing. It's like, sometimes you need, you, I, I, I think it's just listening to you talk about it now. It's, it seems like it's a communal mm-hmm. thing where it's like, you know, and that's why, especially with social media and stuff, it's like, this is, we, we recontextualize what's already out there so that I, I don't know, so that we don't feel alone. Yeah. So that you can look at something and go, this is bad, right? And somebody else goes, yeah, this is bad, but it's hilarious. And you're like, oh, good. I thought so, okay. too. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, and a lot of their the jokes that land the best, they're just, they're not even really necessarily adding. They're just pointing out what's already there. Right. Uh, you know, there's a, a bit in uh, Merlin's Mystical Shop of Wonders where Merlin just randomly says, you're welcome, in a very strange way. Mm-hmm. And Abbott immediately just repeats it in the exact same voice, and it's hysterical. Right. All he did was repeat it in the exact same tone. But it was, it pointed out to me how dumb he said it. I was like, yeah, <laughs> right. he, he said that in the stupidest way possible. And then just randomly five minutes later, he does it again, just to remind you, hey, remember when he said that dumb thing? Right. Every joke is like an inside joke as it happens. And you feel like you have that connection to it immediately because it's like, we're all watching this bad movie together. So when you make the joke about it, it's like, I got it. Yeah. Um, and you have that 
instant connection. And like, um, I've done the simulcast of like live riff tracks and next month I'm going to actual mystery science theater live with Joel and Jonah. Oh, cool. Um, it'll be the first time ever seeing him in person. I'm very excited about it cause I'm a huge nerd. Um, but that idea of being in the room with other people who are just as interested as I am right. hearing the jokes, the jokes that I hear that day might not even be that funny, but I will probably laugh harder at them than I've ever laughed at the show because I'm surrounded by other people that get it of and course. love it and are there for it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the joy of it is, is, um, you know, certainly I've been in situations where by myself, I, I may see something or I may hear something and without anybody to bounce it off of, I, I you know, I, in a certain way I will question myself and go, is this how everybody else thinks? Is that how people say thank you? You know, like, you know, but then to hear somebody else just go like, no, that's a stupid way to say that. It's like, oh God, thank you. Yeah. Good. Um, I like to do that for, uh, I'm the worst at work in the green room. I do the same thing with movies like you mentioned, um, Mm -hmm. especially pointing out flaws and, and plot, plot holes and inconsistencies, but I do it. Uh, I like doing it for commercials, (laughs) um, because they're just quick little vignettes. Um, and, and oftentimes I feel like the writers of commercials just don't understand comedy. Mm -hmm. It's like they watched something else that somebody said was funny and they're like, I'll just do that. But they don't understand why something else worked. But um, there's there's one in particular. I don't even know if I'm going anywhere with this. Uh, but there's a, there, there's one in particular that you may remember. Um, and it's a commercial about a guy. And they show him like he's really young or whatever. Not like a kid, but he's like partying or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, uh, you know, I'm never going to get married. And then, like, the next shot is him, like, at his wedding or whatever. I think I remember this. You know, and then, and, and then he's like, I'm never going to have kids. And then, like, they have, they have one kid. And then it's like, well, I'm never going to have another one. You know, yeah. and it's like the joke is every time he says he's not going to do something, the next scene is he's, he's done it. Yeah. And then the very end of the commercial, and it's supposed to be sweet, and it's supposed to be this, like, aw shucks moment, but he's sitting on the couch, and he's got his kids and his wife. They're sleeping on him, and he's watching TV, and he goes, I'm never going to leave and then the commercial ends. And it's I'm like... really dark. Did it, Well, if you think about the logic of the the rest of the commercial... Yeah, he's gonna leave. He's gone yeah. the next day. He's walking out the door. But it's meant to be this like, you know, oh, he's never gonna leave them. But I'm like, no, no, you know? Yeah. And But it's one of those things where I love pointing it out to people because they go, oh, I never thought of that. You know? <laughs> you know? It's ruined it's a, now. You ruined the nice commercial. It's recontent. But, uh, you know, and from my perspective, I'm like, I'm not ruining it. I'm just pointing, I'm pointing out the they inconsistency. Yeah, but yeah. that's what it is. You know, and I, and I think, like, that's that's sort of what Riff Tracks and that's what this show, you know, does is it recontextualizes things mm-hmm. to make you go like, oh, I haven't, either I haven't been paying attention well enough mm-hmm. or good i've been paying attention just enough right somebody else saw the same thing yeah yeah because i do that with stuff all the time when something doesn't make sense i'm like didn't anyone else can't you know? <laughs> yeah um then hold on pause for a minute because yeah what, what and that's happen? so that just seems so modern to me that just seems so of this moment mm-hmm. and our generation and this culture you know where it's just like i don't know where you just you just pick everything apart yeah, I mean, I was just thinking of like the the memes now about like Lacroix and how everyone just makes fun of like yeah. this is like if someone tried to like someone described what a fruit tasted like and then tried <laughs> to make a flavor. It's like everyone can relate to it. They're like, yeah, I've tasted that. And that's correct. That that's does it. taste like someone burped a fruit into my water bottle. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if but you it, can relate to it, you connect. You laugh, and like that connection is what gives you the laugh. Yeah, 
But it doesn't stop people from drinking. No. LaCroix. I had one the other night. So. Oh, yeah. Do you enjoy them? Not really. Yeah. Uh, it was my friend offered it to me, and I was like, yeah, sure, this is, I can drink this. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, because even then, it's like, because I, I, I can't stand them, and that's why, but it's like, no matter what side of, no matter what side of the LaCroix thing you're on, you can laugh at the, the observation. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this tastes like one Skittle put into a bottle of water, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I don't drink it, because it's awful. And yeah. then another person would be like, oh, it does taste like that, you know? Gonna still gonna drink, still you drink know, it, and, they, yeah. and it, it almost empowers them to be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm in on the joke though, so it's fun. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing now. Observational comedy in general is a big thing, and like, um, even in sketch comedy, like having a character that's a bit off the wall and weird, and having a character to kind of just point it out, like, makes it funnier. Yeah. Um, and that's that's everything now. In observational comedy is kind of where we're living at and it's good like you don't necessarily have to add a ton of content to make something funny you can just kind of point out and be like isn't that part of it weird right uh, and it's still good so yeah they did that for 10 11 years and they're still doing it they got renewed for a 12th season on netflix so um they're gonna keep doing it until people stop taking it and riff tracks is certainly not going anywhere yeah so it's it's gonna be around and if they ever want to pass the torch like people will be there to pick it up and sure. keep it going well, uh, how so? How does the Netflix series stand up in terms of? I mean, it's not because just as we've kind of been dis- discussing for the last couple of minutes, it's not alone anymore. It's not one of those like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, before when it started, you go, oh, I've never seen anything like this. Now it's sort of like everybody's kind of doing this. So do yeah. they do they rise to that challenge in the new series, or is it kind of getting like? lost in the in the sea of other observational stuff i mean i think it holds up to what it originally was um there are certain things about it that i don't love as much as the original um they they still deliver good jokes they still do good observational comedy the very first episode they put on netflix ends with an original song they wrote about monsters and it was great Uh, and i was super impressed with it um so it does still hold up there's just so many other options now yeah like in general you have 300 options for a drama about a family to watch like that specific. (laughs) Yeah. So if you want observational comedy, you could watch a five minute YouTube clip and get something. Um, do you really want to sit down for two hours and watch this movie? Right. A lot of people just don't have the attention span for it anymore. And I think that's where it's kind of hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, cause even like it took me a long time to get through the new series because it's like, I don't really have time to sit here and binge watch a show that's two hours an episode. Like it's a, it's an investment. And so I think that's hurt it because we're in a, a time of, I want gratification now and I don't want to spend a lot of time getting it. Right. Um, and it's there. I know that their next season that they're doing, they're actually going to emphasize on making it a bingeable version. And they're going to, I think I'm assuming write in jokes about that. Um, because they try to be very self-referential all the time. Um, but it's good. I mean, the first couple episodes, like they do a lot of jokes that are complete nods to the original show where they just do jokes that make sense in context to the episode, but are a hundred percent just, jokes they've already used before that right. fans are like ah got it thanks <laughs> i heard you yeah uh which was nice for me like my boyfriend watching it with me didn't understand why i was like yay they said the thing <laughs> but it's nice when you are very aware like hey the show came back because people that really care put their money into it and put their heart into it, getting it to come back so like we're going to give the nod but I mean, it holds up. I don't love the new stuff as much as the old stuff. To be honest, if I was going to recommend people to watch Mystery Science Theater, I 
you have a list of like 10 episodes that are good to watch and none of them are from the new series. Right. Um, but again, I'm also really salty about the Felicia Day thing. So I might just be that. Do you think they brought names in though because of because of that lack of draw now? Because you could just find it on YouTube for five minutes. So they're like, we got to get Patton Oswalt. We got to get Felicia Day. We got to, you know. I don't know what the, the idea was behind that or if they just felt the pressure of like, it's going on Netflix. We got to have names. We got to have draw more than just, oh, it's Mystery Science Theater. We've... Oh, you know, Felicia Day, she does a lot of weird cult comedy stuff. People will like that. Right. Um, I think a lot of it was, I don't know if it was fear that they wouldn't be able to do it with an unknown cast or if they just felt like Netflix would like it better if they had this bigger cast. I don't really know. Sure. I think personally it hurt it because I love that the original show was these weird nobodies that genuinely could have just been a guy that was shot into space. I don't know who you are. <laughs> right, um, right. Like I know who Jonah Ray is. I know who Felicia Day is. I know who Patton Oswalt is. I mean, they had... Um, uh, Mark Hamill on the new Mystery Science Theater. Like, Luke Skywalker just, like, shows up. It's, like, a little distracting. Yeah. It's clearly not a random space circus guy. It's Mark Hamill. Like, yeah. I know who this is. So, I think they did it because they thought it would draw. I mean, obviously, a Star Wars fan that hears Mark Hamill is dressed up like a circus guy singing a song is going to probably watch that. Yeah. Um, so, sure, that'll get you some, some viewership. But um, I think what made the original show good was the weird, hey, you with the boom mic can you come like play this character for a minute? I loved that aspect of the show and it worked and they never changed it for the entire 10 years they were on TV. So bringing in big names is a little annoying. I think Patton Oswalt was a good choice. He looks a bit like Frank um, Mm -hmm. and he's a fan of the show. Um, Apparently Jonah and Felicia were fans of the show as well. So that was part of the the thing as they understood it. But sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not massively crazy about it, but I'm probably also showing my bias of like, I love the original so much. It's hard. Yeah. Whenever you have that connection to something with a, a cast in your head or a way something was done and they change it, it even if it's good, you kind of it's hard yeah. to, to make that switch. Well, and I think you imprint on the on the on the thing that you sort of are introduced to first. Yeah. You know, and you kind of go like, oh, that one's mine, you know, and then it I mean, it's a pretty drastic change. It's not. Yeah. It's not like the the, the robot voice is, is different this year, but everything else is generally the same. This is. You know, it's hugely different. It's I mean, different. they still kept the weird campy sets and they still kept quite a bit of it uh, the same, the same general concept. You know, she's on the moon now instead of underground on Earth and or they're on the moon, I guess, instead of satellite. But it's they kept a lot of it the same. But um, the production value being upped because they had a higher budget is weird to me. Like the music is better, but I don't like that. Right. I, I kind of liked it <laughs> yeah. being stupid stuff that some guy in minnesota did in his basement like that was great yeah and part of the appeal well was there a feeling that like with that like anyone could have done it you could you could make that show if you wanted to i think that was part of it uh i I know joel did it because he just liked the aesthetic and he kind of liked the joke of it being so poorly made he just thought that was also funny right um they could have made it look really nice they just didn't care and they they liked the joke of it um but yeah i think it adds to the fact that again it feels like and it was a group of friends that were creative and funny got together in a warehouse in eden prairie minnesota and made the weirdest show and like people watched it and they did it yeah Yeah, i mean it's the best success story of a creative person sticking to their weird creative idea making it work and getting very successful for it right Um, it's very inspirational to look at and say, hey, like, this guy had this s- kind of stupid idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. He pitched it and somebody was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, like, they just made it work. But it, I think, it again, it worked because he stuck to 
his ideas and he didn't compromise when people asked him to. He was like, no, I want to do it my way. And if we don't do it that way, then I just won't do it. And um, he stuck to it. I mean, he ended up regretting later leaving the show, but he's mm-hmm. made up for it now. He's got it back. So Right. All right. So yeah. time to prove your pedigree. Oh, gosh. You said you could mention 10. Oh, gosh. I'm not going to ask for 10. Okay. I'm going to, uh, let's do, what do you want to do? Three? That's fine. Three episodes. Okay. That, uh, that, that you feel stand out that are, that are the best examples of Mystery Science Theater. Okay. Throughout the years. We've already mentioned Manos a lot, so I'll leave that off the list, but okay. that's pretty much a staple, but it might be hard to get into because it's like, that's a really bad movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Mitchell is huge um it also happens to be the episode that joel leaves it just happened to be it they didn't plan it but mitchell is one of the like most revered ones um i would also say space mutiny uh it has a weird recurring joke throughout it where they keep renaming the actors weird stuff like buck hard cheese and like all these weird like buff sounding names because he's just a dumb action star kind of guy so i think space mutiny is another really good one and then if i had to pick a third one Sorry, there's so many good ones. Um, Pod People's just popping into my mind. It's weird. It's a very 80s movie, and they make fun of a lot of the 80s. It's a clear ripoff of uh, Gremlins. It's just ridiculous. Is that Pod People, or is that... There's a different one. I don't know if I'm thinking of the right one. Pod People's still a good one if I'm not thinking of the right one. They do have one that's just, like, clearly these little Gremlin-type things that take over, like bank or a hot i don't know the setting was very confusing all these movies are terrible. um <laughs> yeah. but those are all good really all the ones on netflix that they have are, are pretty top top tier and then whenever they do like turkey day marathons they usually vote on the best ones and it's typically like mitchell manos um pod people um i like werewolf personally there's a lot of them i could name like three thousand. what ma- <laughs> what makes i mean but so as far as like mitchell what makes that one stand out is it the the movie itself is it the jokes that they tell is it the that movie is just so mystery science theater like the plot is weird it's like supposed to be an action film about mitchell it stars jodon baker who's like the most mystery science theaterized actor like he's just this like he's supposed to be kind of this action star but he's like pudgy and weird and ineffective and like drunk all the time (laughs) it's just it's a mess Uh, the whole thing is a mess and the riffs are really really good really solid um, so it's just one of those movies where it's like this kind of hit on all cylinders of what mystery science theater is right? because the movie was bad, but like you still, you want to watch the movie. Um, so their riffing was just adding to it and making this movie that was kind of like, what the hell is this? It takes it from that to like, oh, this is hilarious. Yeah. It's not supposed to be, but like I'm laughing really hard. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so, uh, as we're sort of winding down here, is there anything, um, that we didn't get to or anything that you wish I would have asked that I didn't, that you want to talk about? Um, can't think of anything in particular. Um, I know we didn't talk a lot about riff tracks. There's not a ton to say about them other than they're just, they hit on like the, the modern stuff and a lot of the stuff that Mr. Science Theater and riff tracks both did are the, the shorter, like, uh, that was something that they did a lot was, um, like the after school specials, they did a lot of those that were like twenty minute weird, right. like your body is changing or like how to <laughs> have good hygiene, and they would do that before movies a lot of times. Um, so there's a lot of those out there that are good and they're shorter if you're kind of looking for a quicker dive into it. Yeah, those are really good. Is Rift Tracks now? Rift Tracks isn't. I mean, it's the same sort of concept, but it's not the characters, right? It's just the 
it's the same people, but they're not in their characters. They're right. just being themselves. So it's uh, Kevin Murphy, um, Mike Nelson, and um, Bill Corbett, who were the last three to be Crow, Servo, and Mike. Um, so it's the same voices as if you're listening to Mystery Science Theater from the later years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they is Joel a part of it? No, Joel has nothing to do with it. Oh wow! Joel and Trace and Mary Jo um, and some other people did a different spinoff of their own called Cinematic Titanic. Um, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, so Riff Tracks is like modern movies where you just get the audio file. Like, I mean, the I think the first time I watched the Avengers was with Riff Tracks over it. Oh yeah, like. Definitely the first time I watched The Hunger Games had Rift Tracks over because I didn't <laughs> want to watch that movie. I was like, I'll watch it with the Rift Tracks. Yeah. Then you can get me to see it. Um, so sometimes movies that are like pop culture hits that like I don't really want to watch, I'm like, eh, if you put the Rift Tracks on, I'll watch it. Like, yeah. I told my boyfriend I'll watch Lord of the Rings if he does that. Um, and then... You won't watch Lord of the Rings without no, Rift Tracks? No, I don't. It's not my thing. Oh, boy. <sighs> All right. I'm not into fantasy stuff. I told, I told Gemma that um, I would watch Twilight with her if we could watch the Rift Tracks. I've seen those. They're, I don't think she took me up on it. They're really good. I mean, not the movies aren't good, but the no. riff tracks are really good. Yeah. Um, I've actually seen those. So I, they were bearable with the riff tracks. Yeah. Um, so that's what riff tracks does. And they do also do like old movies and shorts. And they've actually redone quite a few of the movies that Mystery Science Theater has done, um, which is interesting to me. And I've actually not watched them redo it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they redid Manos even. Oh, really? I'm like, how did you come up with more material for that? <laughs> Like, why did you watch it again? Yeah. Uh, so they do redo stuff. Um, if it's older movies, you can just get a DVD. But if it's like the newer stuff that they obviously can't get rights to, you just get the audio file. Um, and then Cinematic Titanic, that was, it was still silhouettes. So it was actually a video that you would get. But they were like on scaffolding. So they were kind of all over the screen. And it was just their bodies. It wasn't puppets or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, their version of like host segments was to actually pause the movie and kind of do the breakdown. Like the way that host segments would kind of just all right, when we get to the host segment, we'll address this weird thing. In Cinematic Titanic, they'll actually pause the movie and have kind of a whole bit in silhouette over the movie. It was interesting. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Trace Ballou in general. Like, everything he does, he's he did Freaks and Geeks as well and all these other things. Um, so Cinematic Titanic is something that I got into as well. But it was not as successful. It was good. And it was around that time that kind of people were getting rehyped about riff tracks and earlier days of this. So yeah. it did sell, but it just it didn't last very long. Uh, it wasn't as successful as Rift Tracks has been. I mean, that's been going for the past 10 years, at least. Um, is there any, I mean, this just sticks out in my mind. Is there any in, in animosity from Joel towards the other guys for basically lifting his idea? No, it, there's not. I mean, there was kind of talk about it at the time of like, is there this feud because, you know, Joel left and then Mike took over and um, there's really no bad blood between the cast. There were rumors of it, and I think there kind of were for a while, but it's definitely the air has been cleared. Um, Joel has stated like he would allow anyone to come on the show, uh, the new show, and cameo as their old characters, which um, Bill Corbett, um, I think Bill, Mary Jo, and Kevin all took him up on, and like they came on the show, on um, the new one. Um, but Trace and Frank have like adamantly said like they're not going to go on the new show. Right. Um, which is interesting. So I don't know if there's still stuff because they're doing their own thing. Uh, they're touring as like the Mads and they're doing their own commentary on stuff. Yeah. It's, they're just still doing it. They That's still wild. make money touring around talking over movies. I did. I could, I, I, I can't fathom taking somebody else's like idea and um, opportunity and then just going like, eh, I'm just going to go make some money off of this. Even though, I mean, ostensibly, yeah. it, you know, I know that 
a lot goes into the creation of the character that's personal and obviously it's like it's theirs mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes but that but to i don't know yeah i it mean it seems Tracks, a little icky riff tracks is interesting uh i mean mike was the head writer on mystery science theater before joel left so like he was very heavily involved from day one on the show right so him taking the idea and be like hey let's riff some movies but we'll just do audio yeah i think it was probably just like a I need some money and like people like this. Let's do it. Yeah. And it just happened to work really well. And then Joel kind of did his own thing. And there was this sort of split of like, there's Mike and his guys and there's Joel and his guys. Um, and you know, Trace and Frank just kind of were like, yeah, we're just going to not acknowledge any of this. Um, right. But Trace and Joel, this is kind of a weird tidbit. There was a show on Yahoo when they had their own streaming service called other space, mm-hmm. which was actually really good and really well written and has a lot of great actors that are basically like, LA improvisers that were great, like Neil Casey and all this. Um, and Joel was on it and he played a janitor on a spaceship. So, Oh wow. Right. <laughs> and Trace, who was the original voice of Crow voices, a robot that is Joel's best friend on the ship. Oh. So not a very subtle nod to mystery science theater. And it's amazing having Joel and Trace interact in that same format again. And the robot's name also happens to be art, which is kind of an in joke, very, very in joke with the fan community that Crow's first name is art. And it just comes from a kid that wrote a letter and drew crow and wrote art on top of it. And they're like, oh, I guess his name's Art, Art Crow. (laughs) So the fact that the robot's name is Art, I'm like, I don't think that's a coincidence. No, not at all. Yeah. So there's weird stuff like that. Like Trace and Joel have worked together. And so they're still all intermingling with each other. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just, um, you know, not not to put myself on their level at all, but um, you remember Three Judies? Yes. Yes. Love so it. yeah. So, <laughs> um, so three Judies listeners uh, uh, was an improv team that was put together by myself, uh, Joel Warren, who's done an episode, and another guy, Chris Dinger. Um, but it was a, it was another actor's character who was originally doing it, um, and it's basically impersonation of Judy Garland, but way off of the edge and drunk and and yeah. just a mess. Judy Garland has a mess. This this actor um was supposed to do a show and dropped out last minute. And so I got called in to kind of fill in and they were like you're you're one of the Judys and so we were three drunk Judy Garlands and we did the show and it was successful enough that we continued and to the point where people were like you got to keep doing this. Yeah. And and I and I had to reach the point where I was like this isn't mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we could have, and, and I loved playing it, but it was just like at a certain point, I don't know. I guess what, that's why, I mean, obviously there's a history there and you know, they've mm-hmm. thought it through and everybody's okay with it, but there's, I don't know that element of just like, Ooh, that's yeah. kind of icky. And I mean, Joel has said like, uh, about the characters on the show, like the actors made them what they were. Like yeah. he was like, yeah, you're a robot. And then, you know, trace made crow crow. Like, that was Trace's personality in that. And Kevin made Servo what he was. So those characters really, to, to Joel and to all them, like they belonged to those actors because yeah. they made them what they were. Like Joel made the puppets and he came up with the concept and, you know, he still, he owns the rights to like a lot of weird things in the show, like the name Gizmonic, which disappeared when he left the show. Um, but there, there was, I think for a while, there was some animosity. Like back in the time that I got into it, I remember there being some kind of like, this is uncomfortable kind of discussions happening, which I think is why the Mike versus Joel feud was so much more strong back then. Um, But there was the most of the 
animosity was between them and their producer Jim Mallon like because he like had the rights because Joel left and he was kind of doing stuff that they didn't like with the rights there was more problems there than with like I don't think he really cared that you know Mike and the guys made riff tracks that was less of a concern than like this producer is like kind of ruining my legacy was more the issue sure um but it's it's worked itself out he sounds like a pretty laid-back guy he's yeah I mean he would be an interesting person to talk to. Like I've seen his episode of comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting listening to him talk like as himself. And he's a very creative, you know, interesting, very low key person who just seems like if you ran into him in the street and you're like, Oh, Hey, Mr. Science, you'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, I did that. Cool, man. Like <laughs> yeah. really relaxed kind of personality. And I like that. Like all of the people, I think that's part of what really got me into it was I watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff when I was a, a younger person. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, I would love to go back in time and be on the set with them. It just looks like the best time in the world yeah. that they're doing this. And it translates on screen. They were having fun. And you don't, I don't think you see that as much on TV now. Cause it's, it is hard work. Like, you know, entertainment is work, but a lot of shows now it's like it's not their own ideas and they're just there to like get a paycheck and so it's like whatever say my lines go home and they were just having a good time cracking up making jokes doing a puppet show that for some reason tons of people loved yep yeah yeah well i think um i mean i think we discovered a few of those reasons throughout this conversation you know i think it just gave you a sense of gave a sense of community and um you know again that idea that just like I could get together with my friends and we could do something very similar and, you know, yeah. and just, uh, you don't have to compromise yourself in order to, to be successful and have fun. Yeah. Be very yourself. Cool. It'll work. Well, um, if he is that laid back, uh, this is my mission for this episode. We're going to try to get him to hear this. Uh-huh. So if anybody out there listening knows anybody who knows anybody who knows Joel, let's start tagging this thing. Let's, yes. let's, let's get him to listen to this so that we can get that, uh, Felicia day out of there and get, Get, yeah. get Caitlin Let's in there. recast. Okay, for the record, this is one thing I will say that we didn't talk about. Sure. My Instagram name is Caitlin Forrester. My last name is not Forrester. Dr. Forrester's first name is Clayton. My name is Caitlin. I was like, in high school, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if Dr. Forrester had a daughter and she was like a redhead, her name was Caitlin, and like she was the new mad and they brought the show back and then they did all of that except right. it was Felicia Day and That's, not me. Yeah. So it's like, I'm a little upset about it Okay. Still. I've always wondered about the Forrester thing. It's a direct nod to Dr. Forrester. Great. Yeah. You got you to gotta live your best life. Yeah. So everybody reach out to Joel and tell him to put me on the show. Um, That's the mission. Let's do it. All right. Cool. Well, Caitlin. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank it's you. It's been a wonderful conversation. And guess what? The rain has stopped. <gasps> Yay! So you can uh, you can leave without uh, without an umbrella now. Great. I didn't have one. So <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, uh, thank you once again for listening, and um, we will see you next week. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special apologies to Caitlin Stevenson for having an entire career stolen by Felicia Day. I still contend you were next in line if she said no to being on the show. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all at facebook.com slash whatamimissingpod. If you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, you can email me at whatamimissingpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on and tell your friends about us pretty please. Oh, and as always, thanks for listening.